Welcome back to Restless. I'm Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined Paul, Diane, and Carmelina as today we restlessly seek the face of God in today's mixed up and crazy world. And you know, we've had some controversial topics. We've talked about uh, wokeism. That was Paul's favorite topic. I think he suggested it. We talked about uh, contraception, but today might be the most controversial topic of them all. Praise and worship music. (laughs) You'd be surprised how passionate people get about this uh, particular topic. So what's your opinion on praise and worship music? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What What are your thoughts? It's pretty mixed. So during mass, I personally prefer the organ with the traditional scola. It's just easier for me to get in a place of meditation and worship as we're participating in the sacrifice of the mass. But I'm definitely more open to praise and worship music during adoration. I think it's if it's done well, right? But I also think that there might be some tension with the incorporation of a guitar and stuff during mass because there's also a tension between people who prefer the traditional mass and people who prefer the Novo Sordo Mass. And so I think it kind of slips into that territory too sometimes, and which might partly be a reason why this is causing so much like tension, because I think that's kind of related to that broader discussion as well. Yeah. What do you guys think about praise and worship music? I think that, um, I, I agree with Carmelina. I think during Mass, I, I much prefer the sacred music and the scola. Um, I just feel like my heart is lifted to God in sort of like through that music. However, I have had profound experiences at um, Catholic Underground in New York City, which right. is done, it's run by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, and they are um, phenomenal. I mean, they have, there's a bunch of, I think the brothers in a band, and uh, Father Jeremiah leads it, and he he interjects kind of sort of meditations throughout the uh, throughout the music, and then there's pauses, so you really have time to kind of to reflect on what he's, you know, the way that he's kind of leading you through the Holy Spirit, and um, it's just very well done. So, mm. yeah, I prefer that, though, for, for adoration, not for Mass. That's interesting, because, you know, I went to Steubenville, and at Steubenville, every Mass is praise and worship Mass. Like, we, I think we had one Mass a week out of, like, gosh, we had three, three daily Masses, one, one Mass a week that was uh, organ Mass, and everything else was guitar. So I think Would he, folks go down to downtown Steubenville to St. Peter's, is it down yeah, there? Yeah, St. Peter's. Yeah, they have Latin mass and yeah. traditional. So would, would there be kids that would go down there? There would. And and I don't think they had a traditional Latin mass when I was there because we went, I went, went one time and it was in Pittsburgh. So we had to drive 45 minutes to get to it. Yeah, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Carmelina's from Pittsburgh. Yep. But yeah, no, I like my, so I actually had never been to a praise and worship mass until I went to Spain and the sisters there they were playing the guitar during mass and it was it was a bit of a foreign experience for me mm. to to go to masses where it was it was praise and worship all the time so i i felt a little i felt a little uncomfortable and out of my yeah i guess you know it was just out of my comfort zone yeah i've been on retreat with frizzati in new york and they have during Ma- daily mass or sunday mass they have like praise and worship band probably something similar what you had at Steubenville. I mean, they had such phenomenal, maybe it's from New York City, so we had phenomenal musicians, you know, like, oh, yeah, uh, sure. you know, like virtuoso violinist and like amazing <laughs> pianists, like child prodigy pianists and things, you know, so, but that's what you get in New York City. So that was always well done. Right. And it's something, there's something to be said about that, right? Especially, and I also think that people who are maybe thinking about Catholicism, but might be Protestant, that's a really good transition for them. And it, it like takes the I don't know. I think that environment would be more welcoming, right? Because we sing 
similar songs that they would have heard probably. So yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned one time that you went through a Protestant church to get to the Catholic church. I did. I was in a, I was in several, right? So I had, cause I was, you can kind of church hop in the Protestant church where you find what's right for you. So I went from a non-denominational church where I think we did, from what I remember, we did have a full band. And then the most extreme was the Baptist church I went to. And it was a full on concert every Sunday with electric guitar, drums, keyboard set, People were just having a great time. And the sense of community is is phenomenal. But I just remember there being kind of something missing and this void in spite of this incredible experience that I thought I was having and the people around me were having. And then I learned about Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm. And I realized that that's what was missing. And I also realized that God was holy, right? And in that setting, I don't think I knew that. I thought God was like my friend or my companion and, you know, I would, he would cheer me on, you know, in life, but mm. he's also holy and he wants us to be holy. And there's a certain reverence that needs to be acted out because of that holiness. Well, praise and worship music sounds like what you would find on an adult contemporary station on the radio. Right. So it's not that, it's not a different experience when you walk into a, a church that plays that kind of music. Right. But, but what do you think is the draw? Well, I, I definitely think it's it's in a very emotional, uh, it can you know, and stimulating experience because you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are really into this music, right? Sometimes there's good music, and um, you know, you're just you're just drawn and captivated by that. So um, I think that it's it's more of it's the environment, you know, and um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like a concert. If you think about it, you know, you've got this great music and then you've got maybe someone, a passionate preacher. And um, I think some of it, too, is that people there who go to those churches um, don't necessarily understand the sacrifice of the mass. And, you know, that being sort of the highest form of worship, maybe they haven't been exposed to it at all. So so this is all they know. Oh, Paul, you want to yeah, I think that so so I'm a drummer and so I love to play drums and I play in a rock band and we don't play any praise and worship music generally. We will upon request at certain parties and things, but I will request it next party. Yes. Well oh, we did oceans. it when you came to oh, our Oktoberfest party. We did Oceans. We yeah. did Oceans and Reckless Love. Anyway, oh, nice. Um so so but but I have to say that um one of the things that I think it's important is that the musicians are in the right frame of mind. And so like when I play drums though, I'm very much concerned about like the music and the drumming part of it. And I don't, so I actually don't like playing praise and worship music on drums because it's not how I relate to the music. So I find it much more, so I actually don't find, like, I'm sorry, I don't listen to Caleb, I know. Um, but I don't find- Because you should only be listening to EWTN radio anyway. Well, yes, that's right, 1350. Anyway, <laughs> 1350 um, AM. Yeah, it's Veritas. Um, but in any case, but so because, but I actually find a way deeper emotional connection to- like the organ classical music that they mm -hmm. play it just because that's because that's what i would relate to that because the other music that i would listen to rock music or whatever is is not meant for that almost you know and so that's why i really struggle to actually relate to the praise and worship music um as praise and worship as opposed to just being music um, which mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes any sense but sure, sure. i mean the most emotional thing was uh we were at easter vigil this year at, at st john's church in stanford and the organ, you know, their organ hit right at the Gloria. And mm. it's just, and it's the first time the whole congregation had been together. We were singing because of COVID. And I mean, it was incredible. It was, was incredibly weeping. emotional. And everyone was like, the whole church was crying pretty much. Um, <laughs> and and because that that's the emotional, that, that can be emo just as emotional too. But 
Yeah. So but I also, I don't want to discredit the experience of the Protestants. Oh, no. Though, because, personal, yeah. you know, as, as a former Protestant, there is something happening in that moment. You know, maybe some of it's emotion, but when we think about our experiences as Catholics during adoration, just, I mean, it's not adoration if you take away the Blessed Sacrament, but we do enter this sort of meditative state. And that's kind of, I think, what's happening with many Protestants, right? They're connecting with our Lord in a form of meditation. And I, I do, they, they have a, a part of the truth, right? Because they believe in Jesus, they believe in his saving power, but they don't have the most important part, which is the Eucharist, right? So there is there is something there. And I think they do enter into like this meditative experience that we oftentimes would experience in something like adoration, but we have it in a more full sense. Sure. Yeah, and sure. the Holy Spirit is still working through that experience. So. Exactly. Yeah. So here's, a, I'm going to ask you a question that's slightly off topic, but I think it was worth exploring. What is the role of emotion in faith? Like, should we seek these emotional experiences? Because I've, mm -hmm. I've met many Catholics, actually, who have told me, I just don't feel God. You know, I go to Mass, I, I, but it's just, I don't feel him. I've never experienced him. But our Protestant brothers and sisters seem to really go for the experience. And it's like the, so the center of kind of, almost their worship is if you don't experience, if you don't feel the emotion, is it really, you know, do they believe that they really worshiped, you know? So, so what is the role of emotion in, in faith? So I think that, well, what I, what I've, so I had a lot of Protestant friends in college and they were awesome. Um, to quote Matt Frad, like Protestants, you're awesome. We'd love you to be Catholic, but don't stop being awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I would notice with a lot of them is, is that, uh, is that they, because of that, they search for that emotional experience all the time. When the emotion fades, as it might sometimes, especially if you're going through a difficult time in your life, or you're just having trouble connecting, even if you have this wonderful music and praise and worship music and whatever, that's when the faith has to kick in, you know, when the emotion fades. And that's when it's, the faith is harder. Um, and that's when you need to have a, that's when you need to have a stronger faith. And so that's where, you know, in Catholicism, we have sacraments and things that can help you along in those areas. That's not just music. It's not just emotion. It's, it's, it's more concrete, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The emotion needs to be bounced off of our Catholic faith, what's in the catechism, right? Because something that I saw happening when I was a Protestant was a lot of people would connect with that emotion, right? But sometimes it's not always good what they think their emotion is telling them, which is what they think God is telling them, if that makes sense. So mm. it's like, oh, you know, I, I prayed about it and I'm going to go live with my boyfriend now, right? So, and it's like, ah, uh, maybe not. So <laughs> the emo the emotions have to be sound theologically because oftentimes the emotions and i i don't know if it, this happens so much in the catholic church it might but oftentimes when i was a protestant the emotions were connected exactly with what the holy spirit was telling them to do mm. right but thankfully we have you know the catechism and our faith that we as catholics can bounce that off of and we can be like oh that's probably not the holy spirit if it's telling me to go live with my boyfriend right so that's kind of where i think the place of emotion is and like paul was saying you know it it has to be informed by the church. And, and the other part is, is I don't think people shouldn't get discouraged when they don't feel God because Mother Teresa didn't feel him for what, 30 years. Yeah. So we all experience, you know, darkness or maybe lulls, but yeah, we have to persevere. I, I, what you were saying brought up a great line from a movie. Have you ever seen the movie Fireproof? No. no, no. Oh, I highly recommend it. Great movie. But it's, it's about, um, about a guy who's trying to fight for his marriage and, uh, mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, my heart's just not in it. My heart's not in it. And he has this friend who's a devout Christian. And he's saying, look, man, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. 
Mm. Now that's an interesting thing because a lot of people, as you say, Carmelina, that people would say, "Oh, I'm following my heart." You know, well, no, don't follow your emotions. Like, right. like use your brain and lead <laughs> your heart into because yeah. your heart can be wrong. And and even Jeremiah says, "My heart is deceitfully wicked." Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, I think that you know, a lot of times, if if Catholics are looking for an encounter with God that's that's emotional, sometimes it's it may not be um, like bright blinding lights. It might be you're sitting on on the beach and just overwhelmed with awe at the emotion at the ocean you know or, or you're holding your child for the first time and these are moments where god is breaking in it just may not you know be kind of with the earth shaking surrounded by thousands of people worshiping right what what's your preference for mass or you know because well you know one time i just funny story we were we uh we were going to record the podcast and we walked in on father into the little room and he was like, I don't know if you're answering emails or grading papers or something, but you had Gregorian chant going. But I know you also like praise and worship. So what's your opinion? Personally, I, um, I'm i not actually not a huge fan of... I like organ music, but I like to sing. And I think a lot of times, particularly at St. John's where, where we all attend, there's a lot of music that you just listen to because mm. it's led by a scola, it's choir, it's all Latin, and it's this chant that you've never heard before. For me, singing is a big part of my spiritual life. So... I do like praise and worship, and I do like the hymns when you can sing the hymns, but not just listening to it. I don't, I don't get into into that or get anything out of that, because mm. to me that's like a concert with some religious stuff taking place up front. You know, in, in, I see. Yeah, because that's well, especially for like a quietly spoken Latin mass type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't really understand what's going on. It's just the music, and that's all you're hearing. You know. Yeah, but I don't know. I like to sing. Yeah. And I, I think that there's there's different types of music, too, in terms of, like, praise and worship. I've noticed some songs are much more centered on worship of God, but then others are very focused on, like, you know, how do I feel? How, you know, just, like, m- yeah. myself yeah. And, and all that. So that kind of turns me off, you know, when I hear that stuff. There's yeah. definitely the Catholic-approved, the, the unofficial Catholic-approved list of, like, Christian contemporary music songs that you hear over and over and over and over again, and you don't hear some other ones that are, are like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Matt Maher is a Catholic, yeah, he's Catholic. Yep. you know, who wrote "Lord, I Need You" and uh, a couple other famous. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the other famous ones were, but yeah, that's that's for sure. I think so. We, you know, we we started off the episode saying it's controversial, um, and I think that I think there is there's a lot of division in the church right now for sure, and I think that this is one where. I think it's important that there's a lot of people on the more traditional side that like there should never be a guitar in a church ever. It shouldn't even like enter the church. Like we can use it for firewood if we need to heat the church, right? Like, like this is, is really yes. extreme. And then there's others that's, you know, they might say like, well, we don't like those old hymns that were written in the 70s and we don't like, you know, that's boring. We don't like the, just the music. It's boring. You mean so the we, 1870s, right? Well, no, a lot of the Catholic hymns we sing are written in the 70s, post-conciliar. Oh. But anyway, yeah. Um, or they're Protestant from like the 1700s. Protestants, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we sing a lot of Protestant hymns, right? Um, but in any case, so but we hear that. But I think it's important that we always recognize that we should not insist on insist on uniformity where the church allows diversity. Mm. It's important for that, and we can have preferences. Just like you can go to an Eastern Catholic church and you can go to a Divine Liturgy, and it's all sung and it's all chanted, and it's completely different than Gregorian chant at an at a Roman Rite church. So. There's a lot of diversity within the Catholic Church that we don't even think about, especially with the Eastern rites. So, I remember studying in seminary that when the organ was first introduced, that was very controversial, because up to that point, so in the like in the early church, there was nothing but, but vocal singing, and the reason why was because all musical instruments were associated with paganism, 
they thought it was debauchery to bring in a lute or even a bagpipe or not bagpipe, pan, flight, pan flute or anything like that. So the reason why the organ was accepted is because it has, it's the most similar to the human voice because it's air passing through pipes. Mm. And so that was finally accepted, but only after like hundreds of years of debate going back and forth. Wow, that's crazy. You know, and a lot of Catholics don't realize that in the Second Vatican Council, they actually said in one of the documents, Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the document on the sacred liturgy, said that Gregorian chant and organ should have pride of place in, in the Catholic Mass. And, and I agree with that, that it should, because it's part of our living tradition. But saying it has pride of place doesn't mean it's the only music that can right. be there. Right. You know, insist on, don't insist on uniformity when the church allows diversity. But you can still prefer things. You can definitely still prefer, absolutely. Yeah. We were, at, we tried to record this episode first in another room, um, but right below us was <laughs> a, Haitian, a Haitian mass taking place. And boy, they were praise and worshiping in some sort of fashion. They were. Yeah, they were loud. It was they great. Were. So it's cool when you see other cultures. Have you ever been to a, a Spanish mass or Creole mass or? Yep. Yep. They have the guitar. Yeah, Spanish, the Spanish mass, mass. They have the guitar. I actually went to an African American Catholic church by accident when I was in Virginia. And um, <laughs> how was that? It was overwhelming. I, <laughs> I had no. I was like, "Is this a Catholic church?" Um, but yeah, it was. It was another experience uh, for sure. It was just yeah. It was. It was like nothing I had ever experienced. So it was it gospel music and clapping. Yeah, and, and it was swaying and chanting and uh, yeah. It was, it was. It was basically. I felt like I was kind of in a Baptist church, but that it was. It was definitely Catholic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that can be very beautiful when you incorporate the other traditions. Oh yeah, definitely. It was, um, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's good to be exposed, you know, to, to different types of, of music, um, especially a mass, because, you know, if, if you grow up kind of only maybe experiencing praise and worship, right. Um, maybe you're not drawn into the mass, like, and I'm not saying that music should be the only way you're drawn into the mass, but maybe you know, like an experience of Gregorian chant, that is really what sort of like converts your heart and everything. So I, I do think it's important for people to experience the different types. I do, I do think that one thing that I would say is, is somewhat convenient or very unifying for the Catholic Church, especially because we are Catholic and we're universal, um, is that I do think that there, with Latin in particular, it is very comforting. I was in Brazil for a work trip once and I was there for a Sunday. So I went to mass. And so it's, it's like whatever was closest to the hotel, they had a mass, the packed church. It was actually kind of cool. Um, but they did, you know, they sung like the Agnus Dei and the Creed and, you know, uh, the Sanctus, it was all in Latin. And, and that was like, that was really comforting, you know, that mm. I could participate. Uh, it was a Novo Sordo mass. Everything else was in Portuguese and I had my Magnificat and I could follow around the, the readings, but I didn't really pick up anything in the homily, which is fine. But, you know, uh, but that's really comforting. And I, so I think there's a lot to be said about that, where if I were to go to some other country, like somewhere in Africa, and they're doing everything in the vernacular of whatever the local dialect is, like, that's going to be really hard for me to, you know, participate in that. I mean, it's still a mass and it's still valid and all that, but it's just different. Yeah, that's true. but even like the experience at the African-American parish, it was cool because, you know, it's it's very different. And so you're not used to it, but you like there's the universality of the mass, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember attending mass one time in Korean. Not in Korea, but um, yeah. I was on the Camino of Santiago de Compostela. And we, during those 32 days, we actually went to Mass in six different languages and one in Korean, which I thought was significant because it, it struck me that the priest didn't genuflect. He bowed because in his culture, bowing is a higher form of respect. Wow. Oh, wow. That's what they do to show honor and worship. Huh. But, it, you know, I had no idea, of course, what, the, what he was saying, but the Mass is the same. 
It's the same mass. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember we were in, I was in Brooklyn for a baptism back in 2015 or something like that. And I remember we went to the bathroom, but a a family hadn't gone to mass yet. It was on a Sunday at like 2 p.m. But there was like a Chinese mass at that church, like right after the baptism. And so they all just like went and then went to the reception. And they're like, so we just went to a mass in Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was Catholic. Someone someone said that in New York City, there's like 80 different languages that mass is said. And it's like, it's so amazing. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. When I, when I first got to St. Mary's in Stanford, the bishop or the, the, my pastor said, I'd like to send you to Mexico to learn Spanish. <laughs> I said, I'm not very good in Spanish, so I'm going to say no to that. I turned him down on that offer. But uh, part, of, part of it was because I, I don't, there's, there's one thing to know the language. It's another thing to know the culture. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've noticed at Spanish masses is sometimes there's a lot of chaos. <laughs> like people don't come up for communion in orderly lines, you know, or things like that. Or, for example, have you ever been to a mass where there's dancing? No. No. Oh, sometimes the Creole masses, there's dancing. Just and... the African-American one, definitely, there was dancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And us as Americans, Carmelina's face just had showed horror. I just, I've never, I've never seen that. I didn't know. Yeah, in some certain cultures, that's the way in which they worship. Wow. I'd find it a little strange, personally, as an American, but... so. With like, one of the things that praise and worship is often associated with is kind of like the charismatic movement of the Catholic Church. Are you familiar with that at all? Have you ever heard of that? Kind of like gifts of the Holy Spirit? And yes. What have you heard about it? Have you been a part of it? So I know that my, one of my dear friends, she went to Franciscan, and so she's all about it. And it's, it was amazing to learn from it. So my knowledge of it is it started in Duquesne University, actually, in Pittsburgh. Another good Pittsburgh reference I know. Today. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> right near Steubenville. Um, so it started at Duquesne University, and I think the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire again and gave these, were they students or uh, Some students and professors, yeah, together. Yeah, gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know one of which was speaking in tongues. And so it was a super popular movement there, and then also in um, Steubenville at Franciscan. And... What was really awesome is my friend, she was one of 12 and her her dad worked at Franciscan. And um, that was the first time I'd actually heard like people speaking in tongues, mm. which was incredible, like praying over each other in tongues. And it was just amazing to learn about it and kind of see this manifestation of the Holy Spirit and this entirely different part of the faith that I had no exposure to beforehand. And just how alive and I was like, is this allowed? I've never seen this. Um, <laughs> but they were so well-formed. And the thing is, is like when you when you see holy families or people pursuing holiness, one sign of that they're doing things right is just like God's presence in their lives mm. and the, the graces that they're given. And this family's just, it's all there, right? So it's just incredible to see. Yeah. They're on fire too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I was actually having lunch with a friend who we have some mutual friends down in Maryland. This, this couple has 11 kids, the Rubling family. Okay. And right now, I think one of their kids is already a priest. Two others are in seminary and one's discerning religious life. And uh, they, they was, she was telling me that, that when the kids have birthdays, the entire family gathers around and lays hands on the child whose birthday it is and prays over them and sometimes prays in tongues and gives them gifts of prophecy, like, wow. like words for the child. And it's like, wow, that's pretty wild. It's amazing. Mm. Just a side note too, I was just thinking how incredible it was. My friend who is in that charismatic community, her one of her deepest desires was to be a Carmelite mm. because of how contemplative she was, which I've, I don't think I've ever met someone 
Contemplative charismatic. Contemplative charismatic. But she just has this incredible deep prayer life as well as many Beautiful. gifts of the spirit. So there's yeah. a new term I've heard, which is tradismatic. Tradismatic. <laughs> yeah, it's coming up. I've heard it a few times now. Uh, different podcasts and authors and things, and it's it's people that really prefer like traditional Latin mass for mass, but then are very charismatic about during adoration or just mm. praise and worship sessions, you know. Um, and so they have this like balance that they've struck between you know loving the more charismatic side, but then just for mass, that's like they're like all about Trinitine mass. The two are definitely not opposed. They can be two sides of the same coin in some respects. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, when I went to Spain, it was actually my first experience of, there was, they called it, I think, Adoration of the Cross, and um, they had adoration and sort of like a praise and worship session before the retreat ended, and um, there were, the priest came around with the monstrance and the Eucharist in front of you, and a girl just, I, I thought that she fainted. I had never seen this before. I'm sure, Father, you saw this all the time at Steubenville. Resting um, in the spirit. Resting in the spirit, yeah. being slain in the spirit. And because I, I looked at this, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, what just happened to this girl? You know, like, we need to go and <laughs> Call 911. And, yeah, no, the sister was like, no, don't touch her. Don't leave her there, you know, smiling. And I was like, what is happening? Um, but, yeah, there were people who were falling over and, and resting in the spirit. So, um, yeah, they just explained it as sort of, you know, the spirit just totally overwhelms a person and they kind of just lose their uh, ability to, to stand, I guess. And you're supposed to kind of just, people who experience that, I guess, are fully kind of surrendered in the moment to to the spirit and, you know, whatever he wants to do in them. So um, it's, it's happened to me twice. Really? really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What does it feel like? Do you remember? I mean, I yeah. Oh, yeah. You I don't mean, lose consciousness. Oh, no, right? you don't lose consciousness. No, it's yeah. the most peaceful feeling in the world. It's wow. just like you're just there in God's presence. And you do feel like you can't move, but it's not a scary thing. It's like, like, this is awesome. Like, just God is here. And it lasts for like maybe 10 minutes and then you get up. and 10 minutes. That's a while. Yeah. That didn't happen to you when you were on the ground for your ordination, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. Not, not quite. quite. No. All right, well. But, yeah, well, that's great to hear that, that it happened on the retreat. And I've, I've yeah. seen it happen to many other people. I remember one time at Camp Veritas, there was this kid named Tommy DeMarkey. I'll never forget. He, uh, he was totally ready to, to go home. It's like Wednesday of the camp. And he's like, he, I got there on Wednesday and he comes right up to me. He says, I have a sore throat. I'm going home. And I'm like, oh boy, this is not good. You know, oh man. So I was like, oh, this is spiritual warfare. So I went to the chapel and just spent like two hours in prayer for him and for the camp and so finally, thankfully, his counselor, who's now a seminarian for the Archdiocese of New York, um, his counselor was like, I'm not giving you my cell phone. You can't call home. Sorry, you're stuck for the rest of the week. Huh. I was like, good. Okay, good. <laughs> so Thursday night rolls around. And Thursday night adoration at Camp Veritas, they actually take the Blessed Sacrament to each individual person, and walk around and give everyone a particular benediction, particularly powerful. Yeah. Wow. So it comes to Tommy, and Tommy just gets whomp, slain in the spirit. He didn't even know what it was. You know, he's never heard of this before. So obviously it's not like a psychological suggestion. Yeah, which is the controversy, I think. Some people suggest that it's all psychological. Right, but he's never heard of it. And no one was pushing him. No one was touching him at all. He was just in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, fell over. He experienced this when he woke up. He had a miraculous medal in his hand. He has no idea how it got there. What? Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. He was changed. He was changed. He started, he was going into eighth grade and he started to come to daily mass in eighth grade and everything and just... uh, get really into his faith, which was cool. That is unbelievable. So, yeah, gifts of the Spirit are very real. Mm-hmm. But I like that tradismatic because I think that's the future of the church is that we can combine both 
right. our tradition and the gifts of the spirit, which I think the church needs mm, right now in sure. a powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Restless. You know, if you haven't experienced praise and worship music, go and check it out. Maybe a Catholic underground if you're around one of the big cities or maybe just a local parish that's offering that for adoration. But it's a great way to pray, to worship God as long as it's centered on Christ and it's not done just for the emotion, but really for an intimate encounter with him who first loved us. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Restless. You can find us on 1350 Veritas, 1350 AM Veritas Catholic Radio and wherever you get your podcasts. Go praise the Lord and tune in next time.